typically a good way to begin a sitting and if you're practicing this method is to take any of the versions different ways in which we've practiced one through four contemplations one through four what have you found helps the mind settle down helps the mind become a bit more calm than when you began and for many of us that means bringing attention to the area of the nose being with the in-breath and the out-breath but for some it's the the whole body being sensitive to the whole body and being in touch with the breathing in the context of that overall sensitivity feeling the breath wherever it's to be felt wherever it's most prominent wherever it turns up in the most visible and vivid form some people find the tracking very helpful in calming down moving from the nostrils down through the chest and the abdomen on the in-breath and then on the out-breath accompanying the sensations that come about as the exhalation happens feeling whatever is to be felt as we move from the abdomen up into the chest and then once again out through the nostrils and more and more developing ingenuity for example if the mind is very tired a bit sluggish for whatever reason a slightly more active contemplation may be more helpful so that for example if there is a dullness in the mind you may find, as some people have, that the tracking of the breath because there's a little bit more work needed it's a little bit more active and in the process of keeping up with the in-breath and the out-breath that way uh, some energy is generated but that's not true for everyone some people find when they track the tendency to get distracted is greater than if you're just at a point like the nose and in general learning about the ways of the breath 
seeing the law of cause and effect, the law of conditioning. Seeing it as it unfolds in front of us. How the breath changes as we watch it and how that changing changes the body, influences the body and also the mind. How a slight change in the mind can completely change the rhythm and quality of the breathing and seeing that it's an interrelated system, a process. Empty of self. Breathing is happening, but it's not so easy to find the breather. And so whatever works for you, the beginning of a sitting, or you may want to do this for a while, mainly do the samadhi practice using the breath, and that's, of course, a good way to spend your time. But after the calming, settling down, if that happens in a given sitting, if not, it's probably wisest to keep working in the samadhi mode. But if you feel the mind has settled down a bit, it's pretty calm, there's an interest in the mind to learn about certain basic dharma themes, principles. Perhaps you feel you're going to sit for an hour and the mind's as quiet as it's going to get. Then, very, very helpful is to contemplate impermanence in some way. And as you all know, because it's wherever you look, you can use any of the contemplations that we've gone through. Any one of them. Only now switching, seeing it from the angle of change. Seeing depth become shallowness and fineness become coarseness and the other way around. A few people enjoy watching the mind directly, that contemplation, while breathing in and breathing out. Getting to know the mind as it is, and if you like, even there, switching into impermanence, seeing that each thought comes from nowhere and goes back to nowhere, and mainly learning that it's a thought, that a thought is a thought. No more, no less. And so there's quite a bit of flexibility now, depending on your own intuitions and experience. More and more learning how to orchestrate your practice, how to know what you need.
And as was mentioned a number of times, the the thirteenth contemplation, although if you read it, it it only mentions impermanence, its meaning really of the three signata, anicca or impermanence, dukkha or unsatisfactoriness, and anatta or not-self. As you see impermanence, everything else comes out of it. By seeing arising and passing away more and more and with increasing sensitivity and depth, you begin to assimilate, develop a real inner conviction, not through thought, but through experience of the uncertainty of things. And as you watch all the coming and going, all the different thoughts about oneself whizzing through the mind, Perhaps you see that there's nothing you can point to and say, this is me. And so out of the impermanence also comes understanding that nothing is self. And if while you're investigating, you find that you're going out of focus or getting caught in things, identifying with the content of your mind or mood or bodily discomfort, there's a fuzziness, a lack of focus, probably it's wise to go back to some version of the samadhi practice fine-tune the mind. Help it to become unified around the breath. All the divergent preoccupations that flow through the mind and very often plague us. As our energy is squandered in, in this scattering process. Helping the mind to unify itself around the breath, one form of the breath or another, a convergence of all that scattered energy coming together in and through the breathing. Gradually learning to position yourself in a place of stability, using the breath to help you do that. And so at your feet, solidly on the ground, so to speak. It becomes more realistic and possible to face whatever is coming up in the mind or in the body. To inquire into it directly. 
And it's the samadhi practice that gives us that kind of footing. That helps us to position ourselves. Although attending to the breathing takes us somewhere, the more we do it, the more we're able to aim our attention at the breath and to to keep rubbing up against each in-breath and each out-breath. The more we're able to do that, the more concentrated and calm and joyful the heart gets. So it leads somewhere. We develop samadhi by concentrating on the breathing. But it's very important to approach each breath as an end in itself. Let the results take care of themselves. So that each in-breath and each out-breath can be enjoyed for its own sake. can be experienced and appreciated for its own sake. And as the breathing becomes freer and more open, fewer blockages, deeper, more fine, we get happy by just watching the breath. So it's a form of nourishment for the meditator. And it can become a reliable source of nourishment. really get into the breathing. Sometimes just sitting and breathing can be enough.
letting all the cares and worries, the schemes, the calculations, the plans, the apprehensions, just temporarily at least, letting them go into abeyance. Placing all of these varied preoccupations with the simple in-breath and the out-breath. Seeing that at least sometimes it's so simple to be happy. just to breathe, and for that to be enough. feel a bit settled and calm, it might be useful to take up the contemplation of impermanence, crucial thirteenth lesson. And one of the most, if not the most, accessible ways to study impermanence is on the breath itself. prefer seeing Anicca at work anywhere in the body and mind, that's fine. If you don't have a pre- if no preference has been established yet, you might want to just look at the breath itself. You can see each in-breath has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Each out-breath similarly arises and passes away, and you can actually trace that. You can see it. Taking it one breath at a time. You can also, simply by being alert, you can't help but see how the features of the breath change. You can see that in any number of ways. 
whether you focus on the breathing as in terms of shallowness or depth or coarseness or fineness or pleasantness or unpleasantness. looking at the breath in a more open, <clears throat> panoramic way, not pinpointing your attention, but just an overall sense of the in-breath and the out-breath. It's very clear that you feel the breath differently, from breath to breath almost. Sometimes it's quite vivid at the nose and in the abdomen you feel nothing at the chest and then the chest becomes vivid only to fade out and you feel it somewhere in the back or the palate. That's another way to see how the breath keeps moving, becoming. Breathing is a particularly useful expression of energy to study impermanence with or on. Because of its very powerful effect on the body and on life itself. observing the breath and becoming sensitive to the breathing, we're watching the life process itself oscillate, move, change. While you're meditating, I'd like to plant a few more seeds. We're working a fair amount with Contemplation 13, and we've moved through 14. If you recall, 13 is impermanence itself. 14 breathing in and constantly contemplating the fading away of all dhammas, of all phenomena. I'm breathing out and constantly contemplating the fading away of all dhammas. The yogi practices like this. If you recall, it could also be translated as contemplating the fading away of attachment. 
14 grows naturally out of 13. The more vivid, the lesson of impermanence becomes. The more we can begin to see the fading away of attachment, And today, tonight, I'd like to introduce the 15th contemplation, which grows out of the 14th, 13, 14, and 15. Very hard to separate. As we move into the 15th, we're coming close to the end of our work. Not necessarily, of course, the actual experience that will come when it comes. But moving through all these different ways of working with the breathing, at this point in the practice, momentum really picks up. Impermanence is glaring. So obvious. And the implications as well, so obvious. It becomes harder and harder to hold on to it, to things. Because we can see that they change according to their own lawfulness. The 15th, I'm breathing in and constantly contemplating liberation. I'm breathing out and constantly contemplating liberation. The yogi practices like this. Liberation here is a a term that perhaps some of you have heard, niroda, or cessation. total cessation of attachment. So it's the same process of impermanence. We catch a glimpse of the fading, even while watching impermanence, and then we contemplate the fading itself. And that deepens and becomes the total cessation of attachment. We examine and realize the complete extinction of attachment. And this niroda, or cessation, is simply another word for nirvana, or nibbana, the taste of enlightenment. It's the end of dukkha. And as cessation itself manifests, then the work of this contemplation is maintaining 
this liberation itself as a constant object of the mind. development of this is the arahant, the total and complete elimination of the kilesas. They're gone. The heart is totally pure. Varying tastes of enlightenment, varying depths of entering into the stream, bring with it a corresponding elimination or eradication of these tendencies to suffer. When this cessation or liberation or absence of any attachment itself becomes the meditation, can occur from many angles. We can see a lack of any attachment whatsoever to self, not as an ideology or romantic ideal, but as a fact. closely related selfishness is gone. There isn't a constant doing of things in order to reassure or enhance ourselves. attachment to varying forms of greed, of anger, of delusion. Those attachments completely fall away, as do all the many kinds of dukkha. The many forms of niroda, or cessation, and it's this ending of dukkha if you recall, it's where the Buddha starts out. That's what the practice is about. The recognition, understanding, and letting go of suffering. Letting go into nirvana. And so we see different aspects of dukkha fall away. Some people experience a dramatic diminution or complete end to fear of aging or sickness or dying. 
they're never terrified again. That one is over. All kinds of sorrow and grief, sadness, frustration, depression, attachments to those kinds of moods and sufferings that those moods bring, ends, that falls away. And all of this is happening, this contemplation is happening while we're breathing in and while we're breathing out. Remember that thread keeps going throughout all of the contemplations. We stay in touch. with the basis of our existence itself. Life energy coming in, waste going out. Attachments to other kinds of suffering fall away. When we're separated from people that we want to be with, or objects that we want, situations that we want, or when we're forced into situations that we don't want, forced to be with people that we'd rather not be with, or find ourselves in situations that we wouldn't normally want on our own, but there we are. The attachment to all this falls away. Finally, the attachment to the five khandhas, the five aggregates, the body, feelings, perception, mental formations and consciousness, the tendency to make self out of any of those components of mind and body is over. We see that none of these aggregates or khandhas belong to a self. There's no I. There's nothing that the I possesses. I is simply a thought. absence of attachment, this is a negative way of referring to drinking deeply, of liberation. that which was never born, 
that which never dies, that which is beyond conditioning. becomes the meditation. fruit of practice becomes more and more available. Breathing in and breathing out has accompanied us every step along the way. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.